0: Guys, hi! Welcome back to On The Back Bar. You're joined by me, Christopher Menning, and today's guest is Sven Almaning. Sven is a fantastic guy. He is uh, an industry legend, I would say, in Australia. He's the managing director and owner of the influential Speakeasy group of venues. Now, this group includes iconic venues such as Eau de in Sydney and Melbourne, Boilermaker House, the Viking mythology-inspired Mjolnir, Sydney and Melbourne, and the champagne and cocktail bar, Nick and Nora. On top of this, he has an incredible, useful training and management platform for the hospitality industry named Ananas, which he has just made free for everyone during the COVID pandemic. And this is something we talk about today. You're gonna to hear about all this from Sven, but I really recommend heading over to Ananas and checking out because the courses are really in-depth, incredibly useful, and you can use them worldwide. So we talk about this, his golden rule for creating concepts and why he had to get a firearms license to import a cocktail shaker. If you'd like the show, please give us a like, follow us on Instagram, head over to Patreon where you can join us in our community and be part of exclusive threads and content. Other than that, please stay safe guys, stay indoors, give us a contact, let us know what you're doing to keep yourself occupied during this time. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Enjoy the show guys and talk to you at the end.
1: Benjamin Franklin once said, "In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria." No bacteria here. This is on the back bar, hosted by Christopher Manning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Manning.
0: Sven, good morning. Thank you for joining us on The Back Bar. How are you doing in Australia?
2: I am amazing, thank you very much, and thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm very excited to be part of your show.
0: Great, thank you. And uh, how's it going in terms of quarantine uh, over there?
2: Oh, it's. I think it's... Uh Pretty much like the rest of the world, I think you know we're, we're all locked down in, in our apartments and in our, in our houses, um, and waiting for the day when we can, we can reopen. Personally, I'm doing you know really well. I'm fortunate to have a lot of space uh, at home and outside, and and short access to to, to beaches that aren't crowded, um, so I can go kayaking. Uh, but no, I think it's I think it's I think it's fine. Um, I'm a little concerned about how. Uh, the new habits we're going to form are going to impact our industry when we when we reopen but well, that's a that's another thing altogether i suppose
0: yeah for sure i mean i think um during this time keeping up good rituals is the most important we've uh, we've stocked up on food and have plenty of tv so we're okay over here well <laughs> sven if you could give us a rundown of uh, sort of your story and uh, background in hospitality that'd be really great
2: Awesome. easy i'll'll uh, I'll try to keep it condensed i mean I've been in hospitality for for quite a while um i uh, I think my first wouldn't call it a job but my first exposure to to it was uh I was uh, working as a naval officer in, in norway and and um, as the more junior member of the of the team um, <clears throat> I was um, partly responsible for the bar and so I'd quite often be, be making drinks uh, aboard the ship um I then did a bartending course in this, in, in America and, and started bartending, I think, in 90, 1996 um, and, and, and stayed behind the bar for, for quite a while, moved to Australia, um, bartended in Norway and, and Spain first, um, but then ended up here in, in, in 1999 to go to university. And, and um, yeah, basically just worked in some nice cocktail bars and clubs then. Um, I started my own import business, I think, in 2002, importing Vodka. This is before we had, you know, Grey Goose and Kettle One and these things in Australia. We we imported some premium products back then, and um, that led to me setting up a consultancy firm. I um, I quickly realised that competing with the big guys in the on premise, which is you know what my expertise was, um, was very difficult. Uh, with, you know when you don't have their budget, so I, I uh, instead of competing with them, I, I started consulting to them and offering them advice on on what they should be doing and how they should be behaving and how they should execute in the on-premise. Um, and, uh, that company was called Behind Bars. We ran that for over a decade. It grew into becoming the biggest, I think, um, excuse me, hospitality, um, consultancy firm in Australia. I think it was maybe the biggest in the world at the time. Um, we trained about 15,000 bartenders a year. We, we, um, you know, created the world-class competition. Um, The Kettle One Fraternity, a bunch of different global initiatives came out of our uh, our time. We worked with Diageo, um, and it was 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 an amazing time. I then um, opened my first bar in 2010, so we still had the agency, and it's a tiny little cocktail bar in Darlinghurst called Ode v which was uh, you know kind of went on to become like an iconic Sydney. Sydney and and the Melbourne Melbourne institution, um, you know, we won loads of awards, world's best new cocktail bar, cocktail bar of the year in Australia, I think three times, maybe more. Um, and um, after that, we just started rolling out one venue after the other. So we have a, a bar group now called the Speakeasy Group. We have eight venues um, that are all closed uh, currently um, in the in the in the group. Um, and then uh, I've recently launched a. a a tech platform, a training and management platform for hospitality, as well. So Good yeah, one. that's kind of that's kind of uh, that's kind of me and my background.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, there's so much we can go into for sure. Um, let's let's talk about the Speakeasy Group. Um, obviously, this is your your group with Greg Sanderson, and uh, you for mentioned sure. about ODV being iconic. And I think actually a lot of your bars are pretty iconic. They've all got incredible concepts. And um, can we can, can we go into a few of them? So um, let's talk about uh, Mjolnir. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong.
2: <laughs> oh no, yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think anyone's going to pronounce that one right. Um, it's uh, yeah. So we got uh, actually got some feedback before we opened from a, a restaurant critic that I really um, uh, you know look up to and really appreciate his insights. And he, co- he, he got in touch with me and said, hey, you know, I think you should rename that place I think you should reconsider the name huh. um, because I got lots of statistics here that shows that restaurants that open up with a hard to pronounce name don't stay in business for long um, because people are insecure about suggesting it to their friends um, they're insecure when they uh, share their experience about it um, and so you've missed out on a lot of traffic and, and, and kind of word of mouth um, but you know we just ignored that advice and, and went ahead and did it anyway um, so yeah, you know, it's, we do that a lot. So so we um, actually do a seminar occasionally for, for business people where I talk about um, how we built a, a great business by ignoring great business advice. Wow. Okay. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, so, so Mjolnir basically, um, it's, a, it's a restaurant with a backstory. So it has an origin story. So that when we came up with a concept, uh, we decided... Uh, I got. I should preface this with: A, I'm Norwegian. My kids are called Odin and Loki, and I love superhero movies. So, uh, just it, it understands where we came from. So, so um, we basically uh, decided that the Avengers are real, and that's the that's the premise. So, the Avengers exist. You know, Thor, Great. Hulk, you know, Black Widow. They're fucking out there. Iron Man. Um, and and in that in that kind of sort of fictitious, slightly futuristic world, of course, you know, Thor. Uh, the god of thunder uh, lives on earth on midgard as the vikings would call it and and um or as joe would call it as well and you know he gets homesick instead of being home in, in asgard celebrating and, and feasting in valhalla with uh, with uh odin and the rest of the crew he's on on midgard fighting the baddies and so he thought you know you know he's homesick he's going to build a he's going to build a, a feasting hall. Um, where he can kind of relive the merriment of, of Valhalla, where Odin dines with his the, with the slain warriors every night. Um, and so Thor builds his feasting, feasting um, uh, house, if you like, and names it Mjolnir after his hammer, that is the source of his um, incredible strength in the Marvel Universe. So it's a, it's a Viking-inspired bar and restaurant. We have one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Um, and it's a really interesting place to, to go out for dinner and go out for drinks because it's unlike anything um, else out there. We're not over the top, so it's not a themed place. Um, you know, we're not going to uh, – it's not a place where you go for sword fights and stuff. Um, but it's a casual fine dining uh, restaurant with loads of theater and um, kind of iconography from iconography like from the, the Viking era. Um, and it's yeah, probably our most successful kind of opening that we've ever done.
0: Wow. Okay. And uh, it, it <laughs> looks fantastic. I can't wait to go one day. And on top of this, you've also got uh, Nick and Nora, which is uh, a lovely cocktail and champagne bar. And then um, Boilermaker, right. which is uh, yeah. beer and whiskey. Can't go wrong. What, what I've found is right? you have all these amazing concept cocktail bars. They're all still part of the Speakeasy group. How do you create these concepts and keep them within the same you know, theme?
2: Um, I had, yeah, I think the concepts for us, Greg and I came up with a rule um, a couple of years ago now that we're trying to stick our best to, which really um, helps manage growth and creative output. So, you know, the idea is when you have an idea for a venue um, or for anything now that we're going to do, um, there's only one question, like real kind of serious filter that we put on it. Um, and it's basically the idea of it's fuck yeah or no. <laughs> okay. Love it, and so and so things will come up quite often. About, you know, this oh, that could be a good money maker, or that could be a really interesting thing to do. But um, unless we kind of both have this, fuck yeah, that will be so good. Um, we're not going to do it. And so that means that we have to come up with relatively tight concepts um, to begin with, um, and also find uh, the right people to work there. Um, our strength. And expertise has always been cocktails and so we focus on that so even if you go to Mjolnir, which is a, a restaurant um, cocktail sales are higher than wine sales um even though it's a traditional or semi traditional style of restaurant service um we do things a bit differently but quite often people come on their first visit in and have wine because uh, they don't necessarily know better and then they'll see everybody else around them having cocktails and drinks that are being put on fire and it's you know, all kinds of stuff going on around the table um, and they'll either come back for cocktails or, or move to cocktails pretty pretty quickly. Um, so our challenge quite, uh, to be honest, revolves a lot around how do we keep, uh, I suppose, uh, reinventing what we do uh, for different brands while still focusing on, on cocktails and that, and that is challenging. Um, but whenever we open a concept, we, we, we always open it as a, as a keeper. We're not ever have never opened a venue with the plans to sell it or franchise it or any other stuff. Um, it's mostly there to satisfy our own kind of creative urges, if you like.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm, not, I'm not sure that answered your question, to be honest, but you know. No, you did.
0: <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think you were quite influential in the craft cocktail movement in Australia when it happened. Um, what are some of the cocktails that you have in the bars? Are they, are they all on the same theme or uh, where does the inspiration come for the for the menu?
2: Oh uh, yeah, that depends venue by venue. I mean, obviously, you with Myrna, the, the, the inspiration is the you know, Viking, uh, the, the myths of the, of the, of the old gods and, and, and the journeys and the history of the Vikings. Whereas when you go to Eau de Vie, Eau de v is more, you know, the craft of the cocktail. And, and, and when we opened Eau de v, the, the, the brief we gave to our team was that every drink had to be competition standard. And And part of the reason the venue opened was, like I said, we we created the world-class competition here and and a bunch of other cocktail comps we put around the world. And what was quite frustrating when you're part of these and judging these is to see all these amazing cocktail experiences being put forward in the competition. But when you go to that bartender's venue where they work, they never serve those drinks. Ten years ago, you never got a competition standard drink in a venue because, you know, it'd be too hard or too much work or they couldn't... Have before the glassware, or whatever the reasons were. And I felt that people were missing out on, you know, the, 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 the capabilities and skill bartenders really had. They only really showed it to the industry. We weren't showing it to our guests. So when we opened that venue, I was like, every drink that goes on the menu has to be competition standard. And, and so that, that meant it had to have an element of theater um, and, and, and it had to experience uh, to the drink. So at o every drink that goes on the menu is judged uh, according to a bunch of different uh, kind of internal measures that we have for what a drink should do. Um, and, you know, if the bartender can't tell me why somebody sitting across the room uh, who don't know what's in the drink, right? Um, if, if, the, if the bartender can't tell me why someone sitting across the room wouldn't just go, hey, I want, I want what's in that drink and what's going to cause them to order a drink they don't know what is based on appearance and theater and service alone, then it's an incomplete, it's an incomplete drink, regardless of how good it tastes. Um, it needs to taste great as well as have an experience or something about it that draws people's attention. And that's why I think when we built that bar, uh, one of the reasons that we built it again because I was consulting at the time was that my clients would always tell me that you know, the goal was to get people to switch from beer or wine on their third drink as opposed to their fourth drink. So at the time, people would come to a bar that have three beers or three wines, and they'd go, ah, let's stay out and party, and they'd switch to spirits or cocktails. Um, but my thinking was, well, the first drink can be a cocktail. Why do we have to go through two or three beers before we can order a cocktail? And so when we set that venue up, we quickly got to a point where you know, beers were, beers that we to this day is under 1% of our turnover. Um, You know, wine is under 1.5% of turnover in most venues. Whiskey outsells um, vodka in in terms of whiskey on the rocks or meat or mixed versus, say, vodka, lemon, and soda, Um, depending on the week, but 25 to 40 times uh, to one. So, you know, and and cocktails are 70, 80% of turnover, including food and everything else. So I think by, by making it an experience, we were able to. Uh, drive that agenda OD and that's kinda of where they came from. And Niconor's the approach is, is, is similar but but also different because champagne is such a big focus there. <clears throat> so yeah, each venue has their own own take on what a cocktail needs to be for that brand.
0: Great. Cocktails are king then. And, yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously, we're all suffering um, from the COVID-19 pandemic right now. And uh, we're all looking to the industry for advice and support. You have uh, you own and have started a learning and management platform called Ananas. And you've recently offered part of it for free uh, for people who are, are now in lockdown. So thank you for that, firstly. And um, it would be really great to hear about the,
2: the online platform and how, how we can use it. Of course, yeah. So I mean, um, I mean, we've made the whole platform free, so everybody can use it um, to the full capacity of the uh, of the platform right now for free. Wow. Um, the, uh, the the reason we did it when well, we, cause we start, we we basically as we grew, we discovered that you know our business relies on, on on our team being a knowledgeable professional and having a high level of skill and be able to offer a high level of service. Um, and as we were growing, you know, a couple of things were happening in the country. A, you know, this idea of, of cocktail bars and, and, and um, you know, really highly skilled staff started taking off more and more in industry. So in the early days, we had you know, access to the greatest talent in the country really easily because everybody wanted to come and work for us. But as more and more bars started doing similar things and, 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 and the, the trend of the industry changed from guests coming in telling you what they wanted to guests coming in, asking for advice. Um, we basically found that we needed to change our our, um, our training methods and, and, and we couldn't get around to all the staff when, when it suited them to train them up on everything they needed to know. And so we therefore built this this platform. Um, and the idea behind it is there's a certain amount of training and information out there, industry information, that you can learn anywhere uh, regardless of where you work. So, you know how to carry three plates and how to change a keg, and how to pour a beer. These things doesn't matter if you're in Tel Aviv or or um, Miami or Stockholm or Sydney. It's the same. Um, you know how to make a margarita remains largely the same. The specifics varies by venue, but not by uh, by country. Um, and so all of this information lies on there. You know everything from you know basic spirit knowledge to to quite in depth kind of uh, knowledge by 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 category through you know to you know, how to carry three plates, like I said, or how to set a table, all the way up to, you know, how to um, handle micro- liquid nitrogen in your bar, et cetera. We have all these courses loaded up so people can go there and, and learn. Um, and that's anyone can go on for free now and do all of that and earn certificates so they can easily get a job when, when, when bars and restaurants reopen. Um, but there's another environment as well, which is around internal training. And, and one thing I found as a consultant um, and also as an owner in, in our venues and and I talk to the industry. There's a, an enormous lack of documentation in bars, bars and restaurants have processes and procedures, but a lot of these either live in the in the head of the owner or the uh, or the manager, the long-term serving manager that's there, um, and it's taught face to face, or you know, best practice almost is handing out a, a huge, you know, 400-page freaking folder with everything dumped on it on white paper. Um, and and people get on induction day and they look at that thing and go, holy fuck, that's too much info, and they don't read it. So the the platform basically has built into a, a system where you can upload it if the training that you need for your business that's specific to your business. Anything from, you know, we do occupational health and safety, we've got our sexual harassment policies on there, we have our company cultures and values, um, all of that admin stuff, down to, um, you know, our sequence of service, our beverage standards, our... Um, you know, even like what each job role means and what the expectations are, everything's sitting on there. And each course is assigned by job role. So once you, excuse me, once you invite someone to the platform, say, this is a new waiter that starts with us, you give them the waiter title. And as soon as you hit invite, um, all of the training that you've assigned to that specific job role is assigned to that person. And at any time you can click in and see how is this person tracking with their training? Have they done it? Have they not done it? Which, in addition to showing you what they know, also gives you as an owner or a manager an idea of who on your team are invested, who gives a fuck, who wants to learn, who wants to put their best foot forward. Um, and so it helps you manage the, the consistency of your business, but also helps you manage your team. Um, and, and and since all venues are closed right now, we think it's a really good time for people to start preparing for reopening by getting these processes and procedures sorted out um so we are putting together templates for people that they can use they're all free um they can use them on our platform and set them up or they can just you know sign up to the platform and download all the free material we send them and and um when it's no longer free to use it um they can just disregard it and not use the platform and just take all the materials we've given them and, and employ them in their business if, if that's helpful um Right now it's just about helping each other out because we need to get back up and uh, we need to be leaner than we were before. Uh, I think we're going to end up in a very different environment than what we close, close down in.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, the program has, there's so much content on there. I've, I'm looking now, the cocktail service, 41 videos. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, how, how long do you think the average um, course is or how long should it take?
2: Oh, it depends on each person, how you like to yeah. learn. I mean, basically, in terms of size, each course has about ten to 15,000 words of copy. Okay. Um, so a, a, a standard novel is about 80,000 words for, for 240 pages. So you're looking at, say, one-eighth of a novel. Um, so probably a day or so to read each course. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, of course, you have you know, a number of videos, a number of infographics, a lot of visuals as well. So... The training material we put together is basically a combination of, of written material um, that's then visually reinforced, uh, predominantly through infographics or photography, um, and then, uh, excuse me, uh, summarized in video. Um, and, and we do that because video training on its own isn't overly helpful when you're trying to learn something other than how to change tires on your, on, on your bike or how to patch something or how to do a bow tie. Like if it's a, a small task you're trying to learn, then a two, three minute video on YouTube is great. But if you want to learn about champagne, um, watching a two hour documentary on, if you feel like a video on, that teaches you about champagne, it means that you go into what educators refer to as entertainment mode. Um, and so you're just sitting there watching something, being entertained by it, but you're not necessarily learning and taking away a lot of information, um, which is why we can, you know, watch Netflix, and you know, binge watch three episodes in a row, and wake up the next morning and go, "What the fuck did I watch last night?" <laughs> um, yep. You know, and then and then on top of that, you might go, "Hang, hey, how did it end?" You got to sit there and watch the recap before you watch the show, because your brain just switches off. It's not absorbing it; it's just being entertained. So that's why you break all the material up. You go reading, looking at infographics, watching a video where you get audio, and and and, and of course, moving images, and then back to reading. So. It changes things up for me. So you're constantly in study mode.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I really suggest our listeners to go and check it out. There, there is, like I said, a, a huge amount of content. And uh, it looks really interesting. So these will be in the show notes for anyone who wants to look into it. So uh, let's, let's keep on with COVID-19 and what's going on. Obviously, a lot of people around the world are now on lockdown. It'd be really good to get some advice on what you think maybe bartenders can do to support themselves during this time.
2: Oh man, it's 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 super tough. So you know, depending on the country that you're in, there's going to be different types of, you know, measures in place from the government to to assist people. Um, as a as a as, as a bartender, if, if you have, you know, creating creating additional income during this period will be will be relatively difficult because the the people that normally would employ bartenders are are closed down. Um, it could be a really good time for, for people to start building a bit of a brand around themselves, you know, working on their social media uh, strategies for themselves when they come back into, into venues in terms of building up followings on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever that these things are, um, isn't a isn't bad time. Um, also looking for, for um, you know, short-term work outside the industry. There's a lot of industries that need extra people where there's extra work available, um, And also, I would would suggest staying in touch with the venues where you work and and keeping in touch with the managers to see if there is additional uh, work coming in. In Australia, for instance, we have a new scheme that was announced, I think, two days ago called the JobKeeper Scheme. And the first day it came out, it it did very little for us, and we weren't going to change anything. Um, But on day two, the information we got through then seemed to be that we could start bringing back some of our team partially, and they would get... They'd be able to earn more money than if they were just on um, unemployment benefits, so now we are looking at that, and staff that are reaching out to the venues obviously um, uh, and, and staying in touch with their managers may then be able to pick up those kind of uh, new shifts or whatever that's coming along but as a as a bartender or a server wait staff right now um, it, it's super hard um, and yeah i don 't really know what what they can do i would if if, if I was in in, in their situation now, and I had enough to get by on, um, I would just be focusing on upskilling myself and, and looking for, you know, where I want to work when when, when when the industry reopens. Because um, when we reopen, the, the great people will be able to pick and choose where they want to go. So I would just upskill, learn as much as I can, and start looking into where to work. And so like, I've got a plan for when, when bars and restaurants reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I, I, don't, I don't really know, you know? Um, yeah. I think venue owners, very definitely venue owners, um, should be doing a lot right now to, to get their businesses ready um, for when they can reopen. Or they should be doing things now to bring in revenue while their, their main operations are closed.
0: Yeah, we've, um, we've seen here in Bangkok, there's plenty of bars doing uh, cocktail delivery service, um, even offering yeah. some vouchers for discounted prices. What other things do you think businesses can be doing?
2: Oh, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the the takeaway and, and delivery things. Uh, before people jump into it, I've actually spoken to a lot of people about this lately, because um, we we I think we were maybe the first bar in the world to do our own branded uh, bottle cocktails, that seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, and and we walked away from that, even though we were you know our orders are like twenty thousand at a time. Um, the 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 thing is when you do this, it's, you're effectively starting a new business. And a lot of people jumped into, oh, let's do takeaway, let's do delivery without costing out everything in detail. Um, and a lot of people are, from what I hear now, have, are basically increasing their losses rather than um, kind of closing the gap. Wow. Um, because executing these things are expensive. Setting it up costs money, a lot of time, a lot of produce, a lot of ingredients. you got to get purchased, you got to get bottles, you got to get caps, you got to get and then people may not be doing it properly. Like when we did our bottle cocktails, um, we had a, everything had to be sterilized, of course. We had a procedures for how we were cleaning all the glass and we had gloves for staff to use when they were doing it. We had a hygiene standards in place. Every uh, batch that we made got sent off to a local uh, food science uh, lab where they tested it for microbes and um, to make sure it was healthy to consume and safe to consume after it had been stored in the bottle. Um, and that, that alone cost, I think, about $700 a drink to test. So with a, we had a range of three cocktails. Each time we had them tested for safety, each batch was $2,000 just to test it, which means you have to sell a lot of cocktails to afford that two grand testing mm-hmm. fee. Yeah. Um, I don't think many people who are out there now are, are adhering to those kind of hygiene and safety standards, which then in turn potentially leaves you open to lawsuits if somebody gets sick. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different things in there. Um, And in the end, uh, not wanting to sound too pessimistic, but in the end, you know, the takeaway and delivery market was saturated before bars and restaurants closed. So you're coming into a market where bars and restaurants, you know, takeaway stores and restaurants already have a highly fine-tuned model for how to execute and do this stuff um, and have processes in place. They'll take weeks, if not months, to to get to the same kind kind of lean state that they are in which means that it's not even playing field. So the people who are entering it now on one or two weeks' notice and and, and just trying to make things work um, may find that it's the payback isn't really there. Um, and it's also the, uh, the real uh, kind of potential of damaging your brand by offering a product that is substandard to what you do in venue. And then when you try to reopen that brand down the track, you may have discouraged customers from coming back based on their at-home experience of your product rather than uh the in-venue experience of your product. So I don't say people shouldn't do takeaway and delivery. People got to, you know, find ways to make ends meet, but uh we are most likely starting something next week, but it we are not launch we're not launching anything that we can't that we won't continue when we're open. So the same co- the same concept applies for us. Is it fuck yeah? Or no? Or no. Yeah. And, and and if it's not fuck yeah, we're not going to do it. So we now are working on a few concepts that are sits in the fuckier bracket for us, and with the support the government announced today, so we now can probably afford to do them. So I'm hoping we'll be announcing something next week that we can that we can start doing while we're closed. Great. Predominantly not to make money, but to, to so we can pay more staff. That's the main thing.
0: Good. I mean, it's good to see you're putting your staff first, and um, we look forward to hearing this announcement when it when it comes. <laughs> Hopefully, it does. Yeah, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll go on a bit of a lighter subject now um, because obviously it's a little bit <laughs> depressing about COVID. I hear you have a pretty cool collection of antique cocktail shakers.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you tell yes, us about I that?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I think, yeah, one of the things that really um, made me stick to bartending, you know, I, I, I love bartending and I love uh, serving guests. And I, you know, but, but, you know, you spend a lot of time behind the bar uh, dealing with, with drunk people and and, and, uh, it can be discouraging at times as well. But one of the things that I I love about the industry is the heritage and the history that it brings. Um, And, um, you know, even, you know, today, I love the fact that like I got a whiskey, um, whiskeys on my shelf and whiskeys in venues that, you know, people were making before I was born or when I was a, when I was a child. And it's one of the few products uh, that we consume these days that, you know, you can say this this took 40 years to make, this took 30 years to make. This company has been around for two centuries. Like, you know, the big companies that we are surrounded by today are are quite often relatively new companies without a lot of history and heritage. Whereas I love how wine and spirit and beer brands have this really long history. And as I got caught up in the history of things, I just also discovered that, you know, there was a time when people were entertaining at home, and I, I love entertaining at home, Um, When you wanted to really stand out as a host or provide an experience, um, today you can pull out a bottle of Grange, if you like, or a bottle of Dompreneur or Krug or something. And there's something by presenting that brand that enhances that that moment because the brand itself lends its its own prestige and significance to what you're doing. Um, But, you know, in the 1920s or late 19th centuries, brands weren't that strong. Uh, as they are today, and there certainly weren't a lot of like really high prestige brands because you didn't have the mass consumer, consumerism that you have today, uh, nor the mar- marketing and advertising channels that built brands up to be able to deliver that for you. So when people were making drinks at home, they had all these beautiful vessels and beautiful tools that they could use um, when presenting and creating drinks. Everything from you know uh, cocktail shakers that look like ladies' legs to old world war one artillery shelves to you know i got these beautiful ones that look like a bag of golf clubs um, and people could use them to kind of really lend theater to the service of drinks and i just love that and and, and i love i love that kind of historical connection so i started collecting these for you know i don't know how long ago probably 15 years ago now um and um uh, once we had kids, my uh, budgets were slashed by the wife, so I can't spend quite as much as I used to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> by the boss, right?
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so, but you know, I, but I do have. I think I've got over well over a hundred uh, really, you know, old, beautiful shakers, and oh, wow. uh, quite often, yeah, they're, they're, it's amazing. And we display a lot of them in in our venues because um, they, they 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 add a bit of they just add to the experience in, in the venue, having them on, on display there. Um, so I yeah, abso- absolutely love it. And there's some really, some weird stuff happens when you when you collect cocktail shakers. Like I've got a, I now have a license to import firearms to Australia.
0: Um,
2: right. Because, yeah, I know, right? What the hell do I need that for? Um, so I bought this, uh, uh, it's a Nagora artillery Shell. It's the first cocktail shaker I ever bought was this World War One Artillery Shell cocktail shaker. Um, and, I now have three of these things. And, and, and uh, one of these shakers, when it came through customs, uh, it was seized by customs. And they basically told me that um, because it had been an artillery shell, uh, but had been decommissioned, uh, I needed a license to import it. Um, but this shaker has never been an artillery shell. It's, it's always just been a fa- like, a, like a facsimile, yeah. you know? Okay. Um, and uh, so I argued that, you know, it's, it's a facsimile it's never been a we show and I got all these experts from around the world to write letters um, uh, for me that I presented to them along with like you know, historical documentation of the shaker no and okay. the war, everything and they wouldn't let me uh, they said the military expert looked at it uh, and the only way to get it was to get a license to import firearms <laughs> and, I, and I was like this is fucked so I went back to them and said okay well can you send it back to the guy in the states that I bought it from and they're like yeah that's fine because, you know, they were going to destroy it. Um, oh, and I'm just, I know, it's so a 1917, the shaker was made. It's, you know, it's a century old. Uh, don't fucking destroy it. Um, and so she then, honestly, deadpans. And she goes, um, the lady on the phone, she's like, all right, well, you know, uh, I, I just need your um, uh, export license. And so what do you mean? She goes, well, you need a license to export firearms if you're going to send this back to America. <laughs> I mean, you're fucking kidding me. So um, the options were getting a license to import, getting a license to export, or have the thing destroyed. So I ended up getting a license to import firearms, so I could get my damn shaker. Oh my god! <laughs>
0: what a story! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, so we're all at home right now, and we're all probably getting a bit bored by this time. What sort of home cocktails can you recommend for us to make? Is there anything you're you're kind of making on a daily
2: basis or <laughs> or drinking? Oh god. Yeah, I drink way too much, uh, obviously. But but um, well, I don't know, man. I think you know, I think if a lot of listeners are bartenders, they'll probably have their own favorites. But you know, like for us, the, the go-to's at home are are Negronis and 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 margaritas. Uh, and 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 martinis are the are the three drinks we make at home. They're very easy to make. I mean, margarita is a bit less so now during COVID nineteen because you gotta get the fresh limes from the store. Um, whilst the other other stuff is pretty easy to just you know. Keep on the shelf or keep in the fridge. Um, well, yeah, those are those are definitely the go-to ones for us um, at the moment. I'd recommend, you know, for people who are um, are getting bored, you know, getting into new routines that they can maintain when when they go back to work. You know, it's just this is a great time to to get into journaling. Uh, it's a great time to get into um, daily exercise routines and um, daily meditation routines. Um, it takes, you know, normally three weeks to establish a routine. Um, and two months to fucking properly mail it, this is a good time to to do those things. Um, a lot of hospitality stuff aren 't really good at you know, I suppose you know thinking about, thinking about these things. we stay on our feet a lot a, a lot um, and you know healthy being healthiest not being a swear word in hospitality at all, but it certainly hasn 't been like the the focus in the past um, but I definitely think that this is a great time to 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 start you know doing some really good things that you can maintain when you come out of isolation. Um, I just like with, when I talk about launching new things for the venues, we're not going to do it if, we, if we're not going to do it when we reopen. And I would do the same thing now. Like I would start creating routines that you can maintain once we go back to work. Um, if people have the time and freedom to do so, um, if that makes, that makes sense. Um, and I definitely recommend journaling. Um, it sounds weird that writing stuff down on a piece of paper helps, but um, especially now when, when people are gonna struggle a bit mentally, and uh, or a lot mentally, um, uh, getting into things like journaling and meditation would be like just super beneficial.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there's some really useful apps. I mean, Headspace is a, is a great app for meditation. Uh, Five Minute Journal as well, so yeah, I completely agree. I do those things too.
2: Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, Five Minute Journal is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. Every day,
0: brilliant, Sven. I mean, that's everything from us. Um, we wish you all the best during these tough times, and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens for the rest of twenty twenty with you. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Thank
2: you, so much. thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed the chat. Hopefully, I didn't um, blabber on too much. Um, and um, yeah, hopefully, there was some some uh, value in there for those listening.
0: Well, that's it from us, Sven. Thank you so much for coming on the show once again. It was really great to hear your story to the audience. Have a look at the show notes. You'll see all the stuff we talked about today, including links to the websites. If you do love the show, please give us a like, subscribe and just tell us why you like us. And uh, yeah, that'll be it. Stay safe and talk to you all next week.